0: Welcome to the Adult Child of Dysfunction Podcast, where we untangle the past, rewrite the present, and reclaim our future. I am your host, Tammy Vincent, and together we will break free from old patterns, heal wounds, and create new narratives. Are you ready to transform the effects of your dysfunctional past into your superpowers? Are you excited to get back in touch with your true authentic self? If so, then hit subscribe and join me weekly on the Adult Child of Dysfunction Podcast, Here we will learn from experts as well as experienced thrivers how to turn our trials into smiles while living our most authentic and joyful lives. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome again to another episode of Adult Child of Dysfunction. Today we have with us Marissa Grace, and she is a childhood trauma survivor who overcame depression and layers of trauma from sexual abuse. She survived a narcissistic dad who is verbally and physically abusive, and now she's a clinical therapist helping individuals overcome childhood trauma, and a podcast host of the podcast about sharing stories of struggle and triumph as a way to help others.
1: Hello, Marissa. Glad to have you. Thank you so much, Tammy, for having me on the show.
0: Okay. Well, I think we kind of have the same mission here on our shows, Mine's basically a trials over triumph kind of story too. We like to get share stories of hope and healing and show people that there is definitely happiness and joy on the other side of trauma, dysfunction, and chaos. So tell us a little bit more about you, about your story.
1: Yes, absolutely. That is, you know, my mission too is by sharing these stories that hopefully, you know, we can let people know there's hope you know, even if they go through these difficult situations, there is a bright light at the end of the tunnel. And for me, my story, you know, really started at a very young age. My trauma really started in the womb, believe it or not. Um, My parents were very poor and uh, from Europe. So they struggled financially, and by the time I was ready to be born, um, my mother was in this very abusive relationship with my dad. Um, the day I was supposed to come out, you know, she went to work in the field, um, hoping that by the end of the day, my dad would come home and take her to the hospital. So she really held on strongly, um, waiting for his support. And which he rejected when he came home, rejected to take her to the hospital. And a neighbor ended up calling an ambulance and taking her. And as soon as she got there, I was born. And then later on, my dad arrived. So Mm -hmm. I already came into the world feeling with a belief that I wasn't worthy to be here and feeling rejected. I don't have much memory in the early, early years up until about the age of five. So my parents, because they were always working, you know, trying to just bring food, which was very limited. We had rarely had food. Um, You know, I was raised in an environment that we didn't have a fridge. We didn't have a stove. We cooked on a fireplace. Uh, Food was very scarce, and if there was any food, usually my brother would eat it up. (laughs) and As boys do. (laughs) Yes, as they always do. And, you know, they would go off to work early in the morning. I didn't see them until late at night. So I was left alone, wondering. Later found out that, you know, your brother was supposed to be looking after you. Well, he was only a few years older than me. How can another child look after me? Because of that, because I was left alone, I was just kind of prey, just sitting duck out there and, you know, predators were around
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and, and that's when sexual abuse happened. You know, I don't have a great memory of that first incident, but I know it happened because I was so young. And by the age, age of five, my parents came to United States and I went to live with my grandparents. Now that was a very, much healthier environment to live in. Um, but again, I was left alone many times because, you know, they trusted me. They could have left me in one place and hours later I would still be in that same place playing. I wouldn't wander off. So they trusted that. And like, once again, I was just a sitting duck, you know, prey to these you know, abusers that were out there that nobody was aware of.
0: So where did, where did these abusers find you? Was it teachers, school, clergy? Like, who you know, was they were it?
1: neighbors.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: And nobody was around. I remember I was already born into a situation where um, there was physical mental abuse going on in the home. So I was already traumatized. Yeah. So I didn't have that uh, in me to go ask for help or scream. Even if I screamed or asked for help or said anything, nobody would hear me. I was in the middle of fields of an environment that barely any people was around. Mm. Mm -mm. So I was already, you know, being told you can't say anything. Well, that was already familiar to me because... I came from an environment early on where, you know, I was shut down with the uh, mental abuse and physical abuse that was going on. Right. And then by the time I was a teenager, it was time for me to come and join my parents in the United States. So even though living with my grandparents, it felt safe, it felt safer, than living with my parents because it was a much healthier environment. There was food. Um, they provided um, what I needed. Coming to the United States was, you know, a very difficult thing because now I had to deal with culture shock. Right. Uh, learning a new, uh, language, having to adapt to this new environment. But not only that, I now joined this environment that I wasn't familiar with which was again the verbal and physical abuse but now I'm older and more aware that it was right. there as opposed to when I was you know 2-3 years old I wasn't aware of its presence right? and now I had to face this and I had nowhere to go you know there was nowhere to run to there was no family I, I'm in an environment that I'm not familiar with I couldn't run to grandma and grandpa for help. There was nowhere to go. I I felt trapped. Um, I couldn't leave the country. I couldn't go back. Um, I was denied that option. Mm -hmm. You know, I was told, you know, this is your family and you have to stay here. And I had to adapt to this environment. And, you know, it was scary because even our neighbors, they knew how my dad was, how abusive he was physically, mentally, with all the yelling and screaming, nobody would do anything because everybody was scared. Everybody was scared of what would happen, that maybe he would come after them. Mm. So there was really nowhere to go, no escape. Right. And, you know, and then I would go to school. Then I was being bullied because here, here I am. Uh, the new kid on the block trying to fit in, trying to learn the language. So there were a lot of things coming together. So I fell into a very deep depression. So by the time I was 13 years old, I was extremely depressed Mm -hmm. with no way out. So I didn't have the support. I didn't have the help. I had no one to go to. And everybody that I thought that could help, all they did was kind of feel sorry. Right. You know, I feel so sorry if you have to deal with your dad, but nobody really helped or um, showed me, you know what, you can get out of this or maybe you should talk to somebody. You know, I never had that support. So as a teenager trying to survive, I had to figure this out, right? If I wanted to live, I need to get out of this situation. I need to get out of my depression. Right. So by the time I was 18 years old I knew by then that if I was going to survive this I needed to start doing my own healing.
0: And how you old know. are you now? I'm just curious. Oh, mid 40s. Mid 40s. Okay. You don't look 40. Oh, okay. Thank you. I just kind of I just yeah, well, and I'm just asking because, you know, I'm in my 50s and it was the same kind of thing. It was don't tell, don't talk. You know, the people, the abusers were, you know, say a word and I will kill you. And mm-hmm. you're not going to say a word. You don't have anybody. And same thing kind of happened. My dad sent me to go live with my mother, who was 10 times worse than my father, you know, and it's like, what would possess him to think that was a good idea? But I mean, and I love my dad dearly but he was fighting his own demons. He was an alcoholic as well. He was not an abusive alcoholic, but he was fighting his own stuff. So, and I can look at that now, but yeah, when you're 16, 15 and you're having these things done to you, there doesn't seem like a way out at all. You know, what was your, what was your moment when did you have an aha moment? I always ask people that because like where you were like, okay, something's got to give, like, was there a suicide attempt or a, I, you had, know, uh, I had some one
1: moment too. So I had an aha moment when I was about 13. That aha moment was the realization that I was sexually abused. Okay. Up until then, I didn't realize it was abuse. That what I had experienced when I was five, six, and seven. That came, the aha moment came in with the uh, realization of, about my body. You know, I, you know, I became aware of my body. And then it all clicked in, what I experienced was sexual abuse. Okay. And that together with the trauma that I was currently experiencing triggered the depression. Right. (laughs) Sorry. The second aha moment was, well, I I guess I had several. By the time I was 18, I knew that, you know, obviously the suicidal thoughts had presented themselves multiple times in my head because the emotional trauma that I was dealing with was overwhelming. And there was no escape, no way out, nobody to turn to. And we need a way out. We need something. And I knew then that, okay, if I'm going to survive I have to do something. And that came with a trip. I uh, took a trip to Europe. And during that trip, I came face to face with one of my abusers. Wow. They were there where I was. And I had a choice, right? I mean, I could just submit to the fears that I have and have this whole trauma experience all over again. Or I could just forgive if I'm going to survive. And that was very profound. I didn't have to have a conversation with this person. It was really forgiveness of myself of letting go and understanding, okay, this happened to me, but I don't have to hold on to it. And I'm going to let go of this and forgive myself because I need to, in order to survive. And that was very profound because I think that was really the turning point that kept me going. Hadn't I? not done that I don't think I would be here today
0: yeah and and forgiveness takes on so many different levels I've had so many different people get into this this conversation with me because I kind of look at it both ways I you know the things that were done to me I will never forgive that person they don't want forgiveness they never ask forgiveness they don't care about forgiveness But to me, just like you said, forgiveness to me is letting go of the hurt, the anger, the pain, all of the stuff that's controlling me. And once you let go of all that stuff and be not letting it have control on you, that to me was my version. So like people are like, did you forgive your mother? And I'm like, not for this particular act. No, I absolutely did not. But I understand my mother was in a bad place herself. Like I can look at my mother now and have empathy and compassion for where she was at the time. But those, those acts, you know, the pimping you out to your drug dealers kind of acts, those things were not forgivable. But I let go of all that anger, all that fear, all that pain, all that everything. And that to me was good. That was, that's what I needed. And that's kind of like you, you said, I just, I let go of it. It doesn't control you anymore.
1: Exactly. Forgiving is forgiving of self for holding on to that pain. Exactly. It's not forgetting what the person did to you. So you're never going to forget those experiences because they had a profound impact on you and who you are and who you're becoming. It's all part of of who you are today. You know, it's part of your history as a person. So you're not just... It's not about letting the person off the hook. It's just saying... You're kind of letting that go and giving it up to God, the universe, to, you know what? I'm surrendering to you. You take care of that, you know, whatever that person, you know, needs to face for their wrongdoing. But I need to let go of this so it doesn't keep hurting me. Because as long as we hold on to it, we're allowing that abuser to keep abusing us.
0: Yep. Exactly. We we keep getting
1: traumatized over and over every Mm -hmm. day. Night and day, as long as we hold on to it. So forgiving is forgiving ourselves for holding on to that pain.
0: Exactly. Or
1: holding on to the beliefs that we created from that experience.
0: Exactly. So now you are a clinical psychologist, you said? I'm a clinical hypnotherapist. Hypnotherapist, okay.
1: Yeah, I became one was, well, my journey didn't end at 18 years old. Um, Obviously. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) that was just the turning point to keep me going. So that allowed me to keep me going. Um, And, you know, obviously these traumatic things also affect our relationships. So, you know, I did end up getting married, which was my goal. Um, I always wanted a family and I ended up becoming a mom by the age of almost 30 for the first time. Okay. And... Just about that time that I um, got pregnant, my husband had a severe accident, which um, caused a lot of pain, and he ended up becoming severely depressed and with anxiety. So that was turning point number two for me, because here I am still having this baggage from my childhood that I hadn't dealt with. Still kind of hanging on to some of my depression that I haven't really fully healed from. And now I have my partner severely depressed, non-functioning. And I had to pull myself together to have the strength to, okay, now I have a child that I have to take care of.
0: Mm -hmm. And I have to make
1: a decision. And the decision was, I need to get out of this depression To give my daughter the best life she could have without being affected by my trauma or the trauma that's going on around her.
0: Exactly. And how tell tell the listeners, how did you do that? How did you I mean, obviously, you became a hypnotherapist and did all that. What was what was your first steps?
1: Because the first steps, believe it or not, was my child taught me a lot. And she really pushed me over the edges, <laughs> as many children do, and and she also had a lot of health issues uh, at a very from the time she was born. So I was looking for answers in the midst of that research. I came across um, Dolores Cannon and her work and other hypnotherapists, and I thought, oh, how interesting in all these stories, and that really left a profound uh impact and myself so as i was researching different tools to help me get out of my actually i was looking for tools to help my husband because every um thing that i offered to him to get the help he needed he refused he's like i'm not going to a psychiatrist i'm not taking medication you put me on medication i'm gonna just flush it down the toilet uh-huh. So he was refusing any type of help that I tried to bring to him. So I went out on a quest to actually find help for him, but I ended up finding help for myself because I became so intrigued with these different things. And when I started experiencing with hypnotherapy on myself because I was so curious, it really had a, a profound impact in my life. Uh-huh. It really transformed me. I was able to heal from my trauma. And that was the reason why I decided to become a clinical hypnotherapist because I saw the impact that it had on me.
0: It's amazing. It's amazing. And just the fact that like you were open to it, your husband was not. So you can't hypnotize somebody that is not open to being, you know, you can't do it. So it's, it's funny how it happens and how you, like you said, you're on a quest to help him. And then it's just knowledge. Knowledge is power, but knowledge is potential power. Let's put it that way. So you can know these things, but you you used them, you implemented them, you used them, you got trained. That's, that's awesome. That's great. Yes, absolutely. And I was able to help
1: my husband actually get out of the depression. He ended up being more open to it because it was more holistic way of doing it. And the one thing he doesn't believe in medication whatsoever. So I was able to then once I was trained and he saw the effects that I was having, he was more open to it. And after eight years of him being in that deep depression, he was finally able to get back to work wow, and function. Wow, that's a long time. That's a very long time. So that the struggle was real. It was, you know, he was in a really bad place where he couldn't, he just wasn't functioning at all. Right. And to have him to go back into an environment where he's functioning, he's able to work, was a big big step
0: and not only that but you now have the fear of the lack you know scarcity and lack and what's good you know all of those other problems compounding on you and probably brought you back to childhood when you didn't have food i mean you you got to be thinking all this stuff like what happens if he doesn't go back to work like how long can i you know you took all of that burden on you while you were trying to heal at the same time so that couldn't have been easy too It's not
1: at all. And I'm still dealing with those things, the Uh sparsity belief system, because it wasn't just mine. It goes all the way back to my parents. Remember Mm -hmm. I was born into an environment where we had nothing. We, We didn't have food that wasn't available. My parents struggled. And then I ended up struggling, you know, through those years where he wasn't working. It was just me and just trying to survive. So those are still lingering where we're still, you know, I'm still working those out. We're all working those out as actually a family unit. I know I'm helping my parents heal those parts of them as well.
0: Well, that's good. And also you're, you have a girl, a little girl or.
1: Yeah, I, I have a two-year-old as well. A two-year-old.
0: So, and it's also important that, you know, those beliefs don't get tossed down to her. Yeah, like You have to be very and But you're aware and awareness is 95% of what you need. It's awareness, you know? So I, yeah, you know, that ex- you know the expression. interesting expression.
1: Yes. The interesting thing is when I had my first daughter was, I was, my mission was not to have my trauma impact her life. That was my goal. And I guess that wasn't enough for me to, to get to where I am today. Cause that put me in a mission. I was very determined Um, Even though you can't protect your children from everything that they're exposed to, you know, she still experienced some type of trauma. But one thing that I wasn't sure I was going to be successful of doing, but to my surprise, I probably was more successful than I think I was. And I just became aware of it recently. You know, I always made her feel that everything was available to her, which was something I didn't have. Right. Even when I barely had any money, let's say to buy pizza, I always made it um, seem something else. I never told her, like, you cannot have this or you can't have this. Those Or we can't afford it or we don't have money right now. Yeah. So I always made sure I didn't speak those words. I removed it from the vocabulary around her when I communicated with her. So I would always, you know, give her the option. So if we were at the grocery store and she wanted something, wanted candy, instead of saying, no, you can't have it, I would tell her, you know what, you could have something from that bin. Maybe it was the 50 cents bin or the dollar bin. I said, you know, you can have something from that bin, so pick something from there. So I always give her a choice to make her feel like she was in control and that she could still have something.
0: And it's... And I mean, and that's, again, that's just awareness and that you knowing I'm not going to do this. And, and like you said, regardless, I mean, no, there are no perfect parents. I know that I was on the very beginning of my journey when my first son was born. And I know he took a a brunt, the brunt of a lot of that. And now that he's an adult, like we talk through that stuff and he knows, and I know, and, you know, I didn't know boundaries at that time. I never said no to them. I, I did my kind of like you, my thinking as a young mom was I'm going to be the exact opposite than my parents were. Well, that doesn't, Oh, that's not always the answer either. Right. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's maybe, you know, there's two polar opposites to that situation, but it's okay because we, we do what we're aware of. And the more I learned, the more I became aware, and the more I changed my habits quickly knowing that that's why there is generational trauma and And yeah, do I feel bad about some of the stuff I did, but now I'm, I given my, I've learned to give myself grace because none of, you know, kind of like you, none of that was your fault. None of it's your fault that it passes on. And, and you just have to give yourself grace and learn to cope with what's coming on and, and heal that and help your kids come back from that, you know, and they do, my kids know, my kids know exactly. And, but I am, I was very aware a lot of years to oh don't say that oh don't say that and don't do that and you know and I got remarried when my kids were pretty young my my oldest two were pretty young and my step well their stepdad stepped in he's like you got to give these kids some boundaries I'm like I know I'm just learning about that <laughs> I was like cut me some slack man but um but it it, it comes in time but the good news is, is that there is you know for people out there that are listening don't ever beat yourself up. About doing or saying the wrong thing, if you did not maliciously, intentionally hurt your child or hurt their little psyche, it is not your fault. <laughs> you no,
1: know? we all, you know, we're all going through a process, mm-hmm. and we're all evolving. And even if you did something that you're not supposed to, maybe that's part of their learning process. Yeah, so you have to think of it that way. A good example is, you know, I know my oldest daughter always wanted a sibling. So for many years, I wasn't able to um, get pregnant with a second child. I had miscarriages in between. So we came to a point that, you know, maybe that wasn't going to happen. And she, you know, convinced herself she was going to be the only child for many years. And then all of a sudden, uh, when she was 12, I made the announcement, you know, you're going to be a big sister. And that had a tremendous impact on her. It really affected her emotionally, psychologically. I had no idea. I was under the impression because when she was little, she always asked for a sibling. I had no idea how that was going to impact her. I thought she was going to be happy. So These things you have no control over. It's really part of their own um, development, involvement. They're evolving. They have their own lessons that they have to go through.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And, and I, I love the comment of no control. I was actually just reading my Al-Anon one day at a time book this morning. And it, it was ironic because it was like, Oh, I needed that. And literally it was, it was all about control. It was all about being in control of what you can and healing yourself, you know, like in your husband's situation, even, you know, yes, you wanted to help him and you wanted to, but until he was ready, it wasn't going to happen. So you had to take care of yourself. And in that, the gift was him seeing you getting better and, you know, and that was probably yeah. 100% is what he was looking at you. And like now all of a sudden he wanted to have what you had, but had you just focused 100% on, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to, you know, and trying to control his thinking you would, you might not have ever gone out and found those things for yourself.
1: That's right, and uh, you know, I could have taken it in a, into a negative uh, mm-hmm. thinking where, oh my God, this man really is destroying our lives. Mm-hmm. He put exactly. us through a lot of suffering as a family unit. But now I look at it as, oh my God, if I hadn't had that, mm-hmm. I would have never reached the point that I'm in. No. Even though it affected us maybe in a negative way many times, but I needed that to push me to a point where I went out and I found the answers that I needed. And I found the help that I needed.
0: Exactly. And you sound like you were very resilient from the beginning. I was kind of... I never looked, I never looked for the outside. I was always convinced even before, you know, there wasn't self-help books and all these books like there are now. No, there was no YouTube back then. No, there was no YouTube. I used to go to the library and sit on the floor with all my books about suicide and alcoholism and drug addiction and just sit on the floor and cry in the corner of the library, but to teach myself, to try to learn. But um, I always knew that it had to come from inside. always. And That's that I,
1: interesting. I had that too. I remember, you know, as a teenager, just crying myself in bed. I'm like, I need help. I'm just praying because my right. par- my mother was very religious. And I would pray. I'm like, where are these miracles that I keep hearing about? Yeah. Why isn't a miracle? like? And the answer in my mind was, it's you. It's you. Yeah. It, it has to come from you. And I didn't understand it at the time. I understand it now what that meant. At the time, I didn't understand what it's you meant. I'm like, how can it be me if I'm the one that's trapped in this situation? How can it be me, you know, getting myself out of this? Yeah, it
0: makes sense. But I mean, and that's, you know, that's why you're doing what you're doing right now, because you're wanting to share with that with other people with that. Because I can remember being in this little crawl space one time hiding from my mother because I knew it was just going to be really bad. And I'm, I remember thinking, like, who is going to save me? Why isn't somebody saving me? I was probably nine. And I'm like, where is this person coming to save me? And I remember hearing this voice. And now you can call it what you want it. You know, I mean, now I'm probably like, yeah, it was God talking to me. But, you know, you had even back then I had those conversations in my head. And I remember just hearing saying, nobody's saving you. You have to save yourself. You have to save yourself. And I was like, I'm nine. Like I'm stuck in a crawl space, sixteen inches tall. I can't breathe. I'm hiding. Like, how am I gonna you know, but I always knew, like deep in, you know deep down and and it worked, you know, I went to therapy. I did all the things. I did all the modalities and they all helped. But at the end of the day, it was really going back. It was doing the the hard work to 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 get to to realize that I was still that person that I was born. But, like, yeah. you know,
1: that was. You have to face the shadows
0: mm-hmm. in the
1: closet. You really have to face them on to be able to release them. So, you know, yep. onto them. And that can be pretty scary for a lot of people. They may not be ready to face that front on, but, you know, it's only a quick minute. That's, you know, it, it, you don't have to, it's not like you're going to relive all these experiences, you just confront them. It's very quickly, but once you get through it, it's so relieving. It's Mm -hmm. so empowering. Like you are finally free. Finally carrying that baggage of that guilt of all these beliefs that we acquire from it that we're not worthy. I had um, a lot of beliefs. You know, I hated my body. I really blamed myself for everything that happened to me. I uh, believe that I attracted this into my life, which is all not true. Of course. But we create all these false beliefs and we blame ourselves that it's our fault that all this stuff, negative things, they all happen because it was our fault that we did something wrong. And that's why, you know, this happened.
0: Oh, yeah. And your body, your mind has to at such a young age, your mind... You depend 100% on your caretakers. So your mind is never going to let you believe that it's their fault, that they're bad, that they're wrong because they're, they're what you depend on. So it flips and all of a sudden it's you, it's gotta be me. It's gotta be me, even at a tiny little age, you know? And it's, it's kind of like the mind is an amazing thing, but it's also like a blessing and a curse. Like it's there to protect you, but it doesn't always like, it doesn't always serve you. No. (laughs) You know? but it protects
1: you. That's for sure. It sure does. And then it creates these things to protect us. But, you know, I think with a lot of us, and I am sure with you too, is we already came into an environment where, you know, our moms, and this is very important because I find it over and over again that a lot of the trauma starts in the womb because we don't understand how the mother impacts that fetus. So everything that the mother's experiencing, all the trauma, beliefs, how she's feeling. So if she doesn't feel worthy, that baby is going to think they're not worthy because they can't, they don't know that they're separate from the mother. They, right. they believe that fetus thinks it's just another uh, organ or yep. another part of that mother. So everything she's feeling and experiencing, so if she has trauma that she's dealing with, That trauma just gets carried right over into that baby. Yep. So we already come into the world with all this trauma that we didn't ask for, that we didn't invite in, that we didn't even experience. It wasn't ours.
0: Yep. And And it's funny because it works both ways too. Like I had a friend and their husband, her husband loved loud, loud, loud rock music. And he would come home and just blast when she was pregnant with him or with her blast the music like so loud, but it was a happy time and they would dance and they would sing and everything else. And when, when as a baby, the only way they could calm that baby down was to blast the music blast. it. So, I mean, that's perfect right there. Like that is what was calming because that was a happy thing. So flip it, it goes both ways. You know, my mother was doing drugs, drinking and probably screaming and yelling. And that's what she did. So I will group kind of like you said, you you're born like, uh, like you know, in high alert, like crazy manic, you know, but it's, it's just part of life. But it's great that there are people out there that are advocating to, you know, talk and tell and heal and help yourself and advocate for yourself. And so it's great. I
1: feel like we are the generation that's going to stop the cycling of the trauma yeah. that keeps been
0: Circulating
1: from one generation to another. And I do believe that, you know, this awareness, you know, we have great platforms now that there's so much information out there that we can share with everybody to bring this awareness that we do have the power to heal, but also to stop this from being carried forward into the next generations
0: and i i say it all the time and you know i hear it every, almost every day in what we do but you know the the old saying with awareness comes great responsibility and and i think we're this generation is taking that to the max and i love it i absolutely love it so
1: absolutely but yeah. you know it's a great thing what you're doing and sharing your story just like as i am and just being aware that this does not define who we are. Right. And does yeah, it have to define
0: our life? Exactly. Whatever. Yep. You're a bad childhood is only a life sentence if you let it be, you know, every, every, and it's your choice, really. You, a lot of people stay stuck in victim mentality because it's comfortable or because they like it or whatever it is, but you don't have to if you want to get out, you most certainly can. Absolutely. So if people wanted to, this has been a great conversation, I could talk all day, but if people wanted to reach out to you, hear what you have, what's the best place for them to get you?
1: The best place is just go right into my website. And that's martppractice.com. They'll find all the information there, they can reach out to me, email me from there or book an appointment. Um, it has all the links to my social media pages. But uh, that's the probably the best place to go to first. Um, okay. They can also have access to my podcast right from my website. And there's lots of information and videos there.
0: And I'll put a link to the podcast as well in the show notes. Great. So, thank you so, so much. So that everything, yeah. will be, think, everything will be in there. And then I really appreciate you coming. But before you leave what would be your words of advice or words of wisdom that you could give our listeners
1: that you have the power within you to transform your life even if your mind tells you you don't it's all about you know becoming familiar with what you desire so and you have that power within you it's it's about going out there and finding the right people that can help you so do your research try different things it doesn't matter. Try everything because everything will help you get to where you need to be. Perfect. Perfect.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much, Marissa, for coming. I appreciate you.
1: Thank you, Tammy. I appreciate you. And thank you for you know sharing these stories. It's a great thing that you're doing.
0: Well, you as well. Definitely. And for all of the listeners out there, you can tune in for another episode and hear more stories of hope and healing and know that you are definitely worth every single second that you spend working on yourself. Have a blessed day. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Adult Child of Dysfunction podcast. If this episode resonated with you or you think someone else could benefit from what you heard, why not share it with someone you care about? Let's heal from our past and take back control of our lives together. If you're interested in learning more, head on over to www.tammyvincent.com for a free chapter of my book, Surviving Alcoholic Parents. While you're there, be sure to catch my invigorating seminar, Awakening Your Authentic Self. Together, we will rewrite our stories and turn trials into triumphant smiles. Until next time, keep embracing your strength, keep being you, and know that you are more than enough. You are way more than enough right here, right now.